Hey everybody, good morning and welcome to Easter weekend here at Christ Community Chapel. We are so, so glad that you're here. If you are worshiping in East Hall, welcome. If you're worshiping in the gymnasium, welcome. If you're over at the block, uh, welcome. If you're just tuning in, glad you've joined us. All right, this is Easter. I love Easter for a bunch of reasons, but the biggest is that we get to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we know that sometimes Easter and the Bible and even the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus can bring out questions in people's minds. And historically, the church has not been very good at welcoming questions. And we want to be different here at CCC. So next week, we begin a four-week series that we are calling That's a Great Question. And we want to, you to help us choose the questions that you want to have answered. And we're so serious about that that uh, I want you to, if you have your phones, I want you to take out your phone right now. Okay, go ahead. Serious. Take it out. All right? You don't have to take it. Don't, don't start taking selfies of you in, here in Easter. Uh, what I want you to do is go to the website, thatsagreatquestion.org. Thatsagreatquestion.org. And what you'll see when you get there are eight questions that are pretty common questions that people have about Christianity. And sometime, you can do it now if you're a quick thinker, or you can do it later on, we want you to vote on up to three of those questions. And uh, then we want you to spread it around. We want you to ask your friends, your relatives, your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates to go ahead and choose the question. And if they could have any question answered about Christianity, what question would it be? All right, and then we will take the four most popular questions and we will try to answer them in these next four weeks. Now, if you have, uh, if your question does not get answered, is not the most, or four most popular, then uh, don't worry. We will cover it in a podcast. We have a podcast called Church Unplugged and you can subscribe to it or you can just look it up on our website and we will answer your question with a podcast. All right. We want this to not just be for our congregation, we want it to be for the community because we feel like there are great questions out there that deserve some attention and deserve to an explanation. So we're gonna try to do that, all right? That starts next week. You can put your phones away now, all right? Thanks. All right, that's next week. This week is Easter where we get to look at the very heart of Christianity because without the death and resurrection of Jesus, there is no Christianity. We're finishing up a series called Only Jesus. We've been looking at some of the unique things that Jesus offers through a relationship with him. We looked at how only Jesus offers joy, how only Jesus offers life, how only Jesus offers light and sight and hope and home, and now we get to forgiveness, how only Jesus offers forgiveness. I'm going to read three passages of Scripture. Each passage is kind of a scene that involves Jesus. The first scene is towards the very end of the crucifixion. The next scene that I'm going to read about is uh, part of the story of the resurrection. And then the final passage of Scripture is a scene that depicts Jesus in the image of a courtroom as our attorney. All right, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 19. Uh, if you want to look it up on the, the app, you can, or you can just wait for it to be, appear on the bottom third of your screen. I'm going to read John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. This is what it says. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, 
said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Chapter 20, first 10 verses. It says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead." Then the disciples went back to their homes. And then finally, 1 John chapter 2, the first two verses, it says this. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the, the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is God's word, and it's true. All three of those passages have something in common. They're all connected to forgiveness. But I needed to read all three because forgiveness is more complicated than it seems, and it always has been. I want to look at three aspects of forgiveness this morning that are connected to the idea that Jesus offers us forgiveness. And I want to look at the power of forgiveness. I want to look at the problem of forgiveness, and I want to look at the price of forgiveness. The power, the problem, the price. First, the power of forgiveness. I don't think I ever realized the power of forgiveness until uh, after I got married. And uh, that's probably because I never realized how many things I could do that would need forgiveness until after I got married. But the power of forgiveness is absolutely amazing because when you have experienced it in a relationship that you care about, what happens is that something that seems unhealable just a moment before all of a sudden becomes healed. A relationship that seems like it is broken beyond repair all of a sudden is restored. And it's restored and healed through this thing we simply call forgiveness. As a newlywed man, it didn't take me long to dig a hole, which is probably common among men. And this is what I mean. We were, my wife Karen and I were married on August 16th, 1980. I remember our anniversary date. Kudos to me. <laughs> February 14th, 1981 was going to be the very first Valentine's Day we had ever, ever celebrated together as a married couple. And uh, we were married, that's, what, that's what, maybe six months almost to the day from the day we were married. And we were married while we were in college, and I was playing basketball for the college. And so we had practice that night. 
And after practice, my older brother, Brian, who was a graduate assistant at our college, he was one of the only people that I knew that was poorer than my wife and I. Uh, I asked him, hey, Brian, do you have any, any place to eat tonight? And he said, no. And I said, why don't you just come home with me? And uh, you can eat with us. And I, there was nothing flickering in my Neanderthal head that there was anything particularly special about February 14th. And so I went home to my apartment. Not only did I not have a card or uh, flowers or a gift, I was bringing my equally insensitive brother in tow <laughs> to our apartment. And I opened the door to our little apartment, and I still remember it. I can see the, the table and the way it was set. We had a little kitchen table, and it, uh, Karen had put a tablecloth on there, and our china was set out. It was the first time we were going to eat on our china since we got it as a gift at our wedding. And there were candles that were lit. Still nothing. <laughs> nothing in my head, nothing in my brother's head, which is just incredible. All right. I still remember exactly what I said to my brother. This is true. I walked in, I saw the table, I saw the candles, and I said to my brother, whoa, you picked a good night to come over. <laughs> so my gracious wife, uh, without saying anything, set another uh, place setting, and we ate. And after my brother left, I remember thinking, something's not right, but I couldn't put my finger on it. So I went to bed, all right? Hey, hey. Okay, I know. It, uh, three days later, the storm hit. My wife is a slow cooker. But I realized I had deeply wounded my newlywed wife that I had proven to her beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was not thinking of her. At best, I was showing that I was insensitive. At worst, that I was unloving. How do you recover from that? How does a relationship get healed from that? You know, when I meet with uh, couples that are engaged, I always tell them that, that in between them is this new entity, their relationship, that there are now three things once they get married. There, there's the man, and I'll point at him, and then there's the woman, and I'll point at her, and I'll say, in between you is this relationship, and you need to treat it like its own entity. There are things you can do to make it healthy. There are things you can do to make it blossom and flourish, and there are things you can do to wound it and to make it sick. And I had wounded my relationship. Here I was six months into marriage with a very, very sick relationship. And that's when I discovered the power of forgiveness. Because I stumbled into forgiveness. Right, where I, I finally said to my wife, Karen, I am, I'm so sorry. I, I, I don't know what to say. I know I, you must feel unloved. But I do love you. And if you can... I want to ask you, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And then I waited. <laughs> it seemed like a long wait. And then my dear wife, with tears in her eyes, walked over, wrapped her arms around me, and said, I forgive you. And that's when I felt it. There is no power 
on earth that has that kind of power to heal the, the human soul. There is no power I have ever felt that has the, the ability to take something that seems unhealable and heal it in a moment that takes a relationship that seems like it is broken beyond repair and restore it. And that's the power of forgiveness. But there's a problem, right? And you know that. Because I would suppose that there's not a person here that would say, you know what, not a big believer in forgiveness, never needed it, never wanted it, don't believe in it, don't need it, right? Everybody has, a, every single one of us has probably experienced the power of forgiveness in our own lives, or we have read stories or seen uh, movies of forgiveness and what it does inside of people. And if that's true of you and the people that are sitting around you, that we all know the power of forgiveness, and there are people out there that know the power of forgiveness, then the question is, why is the world so broken? And why are we still holding on to such wounds inside of our own souls? And the answer is, there's a problem. There are two problems, actually, with forgiveness. One, it's hard to get, and the other, it's hard to give. When I say that Forgiveness is hard to get. This is what I mean. I gave you kind of the condensed version of what happened after Valentine's Day. I told you that I stumbled into forgiveness. The reason I said I stumbled into forgiveness is that I tried several things before I got to forgiveness, like most men. Right? First, I tried to, to minimize it. And I said to my wife, Valentine's Day, come on, it's not even real. Hallmark made that up. Right? <laughs> yeah. Women, you can vote. Uh, like that's going to help or that's going to hurt, right? <laughs> and then I tried to put it in perspective. I was going, okay, I forgot Valentine's Day, but I remembered your birthday. I remembered Christmas, right? <laughs> Still not good, right? And then I tried to replace it. I said, listen, okay, I, I blew today, but let's just do it tomorrow, right? You can set the china out tomorrow. I'll leave Brian at the gym. All good. Here's a question, why would I try those things before I went to the real medicine, before I'd go for, for forgiveness? And the answer is forgiveness is really hard to ask for. Because when you ask for forgiveness, you have to look somebody straight up. And you have to tell them, listen, I have done this. And what you're saying, what you're admitting to when you ask for forgiveness is that you really deserve judgment, but you're going to ask for mercy. You are giving the person kind of a sword, and with that sword, they can slaughter you because you've already admitted that you deserve judgment. Or they can forgive you and breathe life into your soul because that's what can happen, which is why we turn sideways so often, and we, we struggle with even asking for forgiveness. Instead of asking straight up for forgiveness, we'll say, listen, you know, I, I didn't mean to hurt you, but if I did hurt you, then I'm sorry. That's not really asking for forgiveness. You turn sideways so you don't have to admit to really hurting somebody. Or we'll say, I know, I know I did something wrong, but you've done stuff wrong too, right? Where we are not really, and when you turn sideways, you will not get forgiven because you haven't really asked for it, so you can't experience the power of forgiveness. Forgiveness is hard to get. And this is the curious thing. If we, if we all know that forgiveness is hard to ask for, and you know that if you've ever asked for it, <laughs> why don't we make it easy on each other? 
Like if you are hurt deeply, why don't you go to the person who's hurt you deeply and say, listen, I know it's going to be hard for you to ask forgiveness, but I'm feeling good. Go ahead, ask. It's all right. Right? We don't do that. You know why? Because if forgiveness is hard to get, it's even harder to give. If you've ever been hurt deeply, and most of you probably have, where you've been wounded so deeply, if you have ever been abandoned, if you have ever had somebody cheat on you, if you have ever been lied to, if you have ever been bullied, if you've ever been lied about, if you've ever been violated, you know forgiveness is hard. It's hard. It's so hard that sometimes you will not forgive even though you know it's killing you to not forgive. I've had people in my office where they, they desperately want to forgive and they can't figure out how, and it's like they're trying to tread water holding a 50-pound weight, and they are drowning. And still they say, I cannot let it go. And the question is, why? And the answer is, forgiveness is costly. And that brings me to the price of forgiveness. The price of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not free. It never is. Someone always has to pay. If, you, if your car is parked next to my car out in the parking lot right now, and, uh, you know, we dismiss the, the service, you go out, you know, this big crowd, everybody's, you know, nobody's letting you out because, you know, we're a church and people are trying to get away. Right? But nobody's letting you out, and you are looking in your rearview mirror, and you're not paying attention, you cut it a little too sharply, and you hit my car, and you dent my fender. And you wait for me to come out, and I walk out, and you decide to take it straight up, not turn sideways, and you say, Pastor Joe, is this your car? I say, yes, it is. You say, listen, I'm so sorry, but I have dented your car. Now, you did just talk about forgiveness. <laughs> and you say, will you forgive me? And I say, I forgive you. That doesn't mean no one pays. It means you don't pay. It means I pay. And of course, the greater the offense, the deeper the offense, the deeper the payment, which is why it's so hard to forgive. Right? That's why when Jesus went, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is talking to God the Father and he says to God the Father, listen, is there any other way? What he's saying, is there any other way for the human soul to be healed, for that which is unhealable to be healed? Is there any other way for this relationship that you have with human beings, that it has been shattered by them? Is there any other way to make that whole again, to restore it? And the answer comes back from God the Father, no. There's no other way. The only thing under heaven that can heal the human soul, the only thing under heaven that can heal the relationship with the human being and a holy God is forgiveness. And forgiveness will cost somebody something. Which is why Jesus, at the very end in that passage that I read about the crucifixion, why Jesus says, it is finished. What he's saying is, I have paid the price. I have paid the price so that you can be forgiven. Which is also why John, in his letter, 1 John, puts it in a court setting when he says this, but if anyone does sin... We have an advocate, that's the same word we use for attorney, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation, that's the word for atonement, it's the word for payment. He is the payment for our sins and not for ours only, 
but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, sometimes people will ask me, they'll say, well, why did Jesus have to be crucified? Why did he have to die such a horrible death? If God wanted to forgive us, why not just forgive us? You hear what you're asking? It's like if somebody deeply wounded you, so much so that you feel crushed, that you feel violated, and I come to you and I say, listen, if you want to forgive them, just forgive them. It hurts to forgive. And sometimes people will say to me, you know, I, uh, you know Christianity, well, you know, that, that whole thing where all somebody has to do is ask for forgiveness, and then often they get off scot-free. It's not fair. Somebody who has hurt me this deeply should pay a price. It's not just. But you misunderstand Christianity. Because Christianity is always just. Every injustice is paid for in Christianity. Every sin must be paid for in Christianity. It's paid for by you or by Jesus. Always. Paid for by you or by Jesus. And in this passage where Jesus acts as my attorney, if he's representing me before God the Father and a holy God, I don't want you to think he takes out my folder and he says, God, we have Joe Coffey here and I'm representing him. He was a pastor. He tried his best. He made mistakes. Please be merciful to him. Give him another chance. That's not the way he represents me. Jesus, as my advocate, goes to God the Father, a holy God, and he says, this is Joe Coffey. He is guilty. He's guilty of stuff that he knows, guilty of stuff that he doesn't know. He deserves judgment. He has handed you the sword, but I have paid for him. I have paid the price for every injustice. I have paid the price for every sin. It'd be unjust for you to punish me and punish him. And I took his payment. But you need to know, too, that forgiveness is hard to get. Right? So people, we turn sideways even with God. And instead of confessing to God, we, we say the way you turn sideways with God is you say something like this. Well, God, you know, I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. But I'm a pretty good person. I'm better than this guy. I'm better than she is, right? And I want you to know, if you say that to God, you will never be forgiven because you haven't asked to be forgiven. Because to ask to be forgiven means I go to God and I say, God, listen, I actually, honestly, I have no idea how many times I've sinned. I have no idea of a lot of the stuff that I've done and how I've hurt people and how I've hurt you. And I have no idea how broken our relationship is or even how to restore my relationship with you. And then I, so I need to say to you, listen, if you can, if you will, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And Jesus says, I can and I will. Now here's the question. Where does the resurrection come in? Because here we are at Easter. I haven't even mentioned the resurrection of Jesus. Why did Jesus have to rise from the dead? Because that's what the passage said that I read. It said they did not realize that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Why the resurrection? Um, I heard a story about a guy who, uh, would, when he was getting married, was standing at the altar waiting for his bride to come down. And his bride was late. 
And so they were waiting. And finally, the pastor, true story, the pastor turned to the groom and he said, uh, I'll go look for her. And the pastor left. And so the groom was just standing there waiting. And he said he began to think, what happens if she doesn't come? What am I supposed to think if she doesn't come? I wonder if she ever really loved me. I wonder if she meant all the promises she gave to me. I wonder if any of it's true. That's Christianity without the resurrection. The way I knew that my wife had forgiven me is that she walked across the room and she wrapped her arms around me. How do you know that when Jesus went to the cross, he actually paid for your sins so that you could be forgiven? And the answer is the resurrection. You know how if you have a smartphone and you text somebody and they uh, start to text you back, before you see the text, you see like bubbles that the text is coming? You know, I think that's amazing. I think that groom, if he was standing there and he had his phone, he might have taken it out and said to his bride, where are you? Is any of it true? Do you really love me? Did you mean the promises? And then when the bubbles would start to appear, he would wait because he would be holding his heart in his hand because he knew whatever the text would say, it would either crush him to dust or would fill him with unspeakable joy. So the disciples on Friday, they watched Jesus die on a cross. And they bury him in all day Saturday. They just wonder. And they're probably telling it, saying it to each other. Do you think it's true? Is any of it true? Does he really, did he really love us? Did he really mean the promises? Could he really forgive us? Can he really reconcile us to God? And then on Sunday morning, as the sun was getting ready to rise, the earth shook. And if the disciples had phones, they would have grabbed their phones and looked. And they would have seen the bubbles Right? Because all the questions they've been asking, is it true? Can I be forgiven? Do you really love me? And they'd be looking at those bubbles and they'd be holding their heart in their hand because they knew whatever it would say would either crush them to dust or fill them with unspeakable joy. And then the text began to appear, yes. Yes, it's true. Yes, I love you. Yes, I can forgive you. Yes, I do. Yes, I can reconcile you with God. Yes, yes, yes. I'm alive. That's the resurrection. Here's the thing. You know the power of forgiveness. You know that forgiveness has the power to take something that is a wound that it seems unhealable and heal it. You know that forgiveness has the power to take a relationship that seems like it's broken beyond repair and restore it. But you also know there's a problem. You know it's hard to get. It's even harder to give because there's a price for forgiveness. And you know, tr- you know also that deep down inside of you, you want justice to be done, that every injustice should be paid for and every sin should be paid for. And it's either going to be paid for by you or it's going to be paid for by Jesus. And Jesus went to the cross to give you that option where you can go to God and say, will you, can you forgive me? 
And the resurrection is Jesus' way of saying, it's true. I really do love you. I really did pay for you. You really can be forgiven, and your relationship with God can be restored. And what you need to do is ask. Straight up. Ask him. Because only Jesus offers forgiveness. That's Easter. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we uh, come to you and we are so grateful. I am so grateful that uh, you decided to come and pay the price for us. And then when you resurrected, you were saying it's all true. I really do love you. I really can forgive you. I really will forgive you. And I will restore your relationship with God. I pray that every person here will experience that. And if those who have already experienced it, I pray that you will renew it in our hearts. For those of, of the people who are here who have not yet experienced I pray that they might experience it even today. Thanks for being such a wonderful Savior. And thanks for offering us and giving us forgiveness in your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.